continuing in our study of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. If you have your worship folder, the reading is right there on the, on the front. And we will uh, we'll read this together. I, as many of you know, I was last week in uh, uh, the country of Jordan. We were invited by the uh, Christian Missionary Alliance to lead a conference of our national pastors in Jordan and in parts of Palestine. And so we, uh, we uh, Lisa and I got to stick our toes in the Red Sea. We had put our feet in the Dead Sea at one time. So now we got to stick our toes in the Red Sea, suffering for the Lord at a really nice resort <laughs> on the Gulf of Aqaba with all-you-can-eat uh, Jordanian buffet. So uh, it was rough. <laughs> but uh, when I got there, I got there in time. I, watched live, I enjoyed live stream last week. Uh, watching Gabe talk about how I left just so he could talk about money, <laughs> which I'll get him later. But uh, poor Gabe, he's having a hard time today. But uh, let's read God's word together. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It was a very interesting thing to be in a nation that is primarily and predominantly religious, to have your day interrupted five times with a loud call to prayer uh, throughout every city, every area that we are a part of. Suddenly, uh, a sound would come up and you would hear this, this voice singing in, 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 in Arabic and, and calling the people to prayer. And then, and as a you know, as a, a spiritual leader, as a pastor, it was fascinating. I was observing people, and some were utterly and completely unaffected by it. That it had become so routine in their life, it was as if it did not happen at all. Of course, to me, it was new and it was different, so it, was, it, it struck me. It sort of surprised me and shocked me every time it would start. But for them, it was, it was just life as usual. But the second thing is that <laughs> we were in a... a predominantly Muslim country that was celebrating Ramadan. And the entire country is affected for a, for a whole month by the fasting that's a part of, a part of Ramadan. They, they began to fast from 4 a.m. to 7.45 p.m. And it is dangerous to be on the streets at 7.45 p.m., because people are racing home to eat. And they get into car accidents and they run over each other. 
and all kinds of stuff. So much so that the government of Jordan is now stationing people between 7.30 and 8 o'clock with water and uh, dates so that people will have something to eat so they won't get so frantic and run over each other to get home. Uh, it's an amazing thing. There is a hunger throughout the world for spirituality. There is a hunger throughout the world to pray and to be a part of prayer. It, you may think people are uninterested. They are very interested. But what Jesus teaches, he teaches that there is a spirituality that connects you with God, and there's a spirituality that does not connect you with God. Now, sometimes what people will say to me, because I really believe my first call in life is not as a preacher, or teacher, or pastor, but my first call in life is intimacy with God through prayer. That everything that I do out of ministry flows out of my prayer life. So people will come up to me because they know I teach on prayer and I lead prayer meetings and stuff. And they'll say, look, I tried that prayer thing and it just doesn't work. Or people will say something like this. Well, you know, those people that spend all their time praying, you know, it really doesn't, it really, it doesn't accomplish anything for this world. And even some people will say it this way. They say, I'm more of an activist. You know, I like to get things done. Even some people say, I like to get things done for God. I don't, I don't like all this praying stuff. Well, if you notice in the Sermon on the Mount, what comes right before he teaches on prayer is he talks about taking care of the poor, about how you use your money, how you hide even, you don't do it for show, that he makes sure you take care of, of the deep needs of other people. And then when he begins verse 5, when he's talking about spirituality and he's talking about prayer, he doesn't, he doesn't start a new thought. He shows it as a connecting thought. The word is, begins verse 5, is the word and. In other words, if you're truly developed in your spiritual interior, you will care about this world and you will pray. Not you will pray and not care. The and, there's, there's a connector. And some people have actually said, they say, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. But Jesus says, if you're truly heavenly minded, you will care about the good of the earth. It's an and, not an either-or, it's a both-and in his teaching. And really what he's saying is that the people who truly have this interior life with God have a certain engagement that they cannot avoid in the needs of others. There's a, it's not an easy read, but there's a book called The Interior Castle by um, Teresa of Avila. And it's, it's sort of a mystical Christianity, but it's, 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 a, it's a fascinating book of how you progress in your spiritual life and especially how you progress in your prayer life. And one of the things that she talks about is she talks about experiencing the throne room of the king, of getting to the place in your personal private prayer life that you have truly glimpsed, you have truly experienced being in the throne room of the king. 
And what she says is that to have connected to the king and to have experienced his throne room brings about a radiance of the soul. Your soul becomes radiant. See, what Jesus is talking about here is, is not image management. It's not behavior management. It's sort of interior design. For the soul that really begins to accept and believe in Jesus' spirituality, it's not sufficient that you sort of have one way that you are privately and another way that you are publicly. That your exterior doesn't reflect your interior. That you can fake it till you make it. In some ways, if you fake it till you make it, you're just a fake. Well, the Lord's Prayer is the model that Jesus gives, and it's the pattern of, of connecting with Jesus. Now, can you track with me on this a little bit? See, if, if, if all you're trying to do is get leverage with God, you're not going to like what I have to say today. If you're just trying to get your way, if you're just trying to make prayer work, you're probably not going to be too happy with what we're going to do today. But if there's something in you that says, I want a radiant soul. I want something that's beautiful from the inside out. I don't want to just get away with what I want. I want something that is transformative, that, that, that speaks to the longing and the desire for more. Then today is a great day to be here. See, when people say, I tried prayer and prayer didn't work, what they're really saying is, I only pray to get what I want. I only pray to make the world what I want it to be. I only pray so that other people will be what I design them to be. And what Jesus is saying is that you've used prayer only in a design that he has not created. You've used a false model of spirituality. If you've ever thought that prayer doesn't work for you, then you use the wrong model. You use the wrong spirituality. And Jesus, in this passage, he explains that there are two wrong models of spirituality, at least that he addresses. And we get the sense of this, when he, that they're false models, because he says in verse 5 and verse 7, he says, don't be like this. So it's obvious that people are like that. And they are like that, but they're like that as a false false model. And the first is, is pretty easy to discern in this way, is he says that there are people who are religious prayers. Now, he uses this word, it's a kind of a fascinating word, he uses the word, they go out on the street corners. Now, for most of us, the people who are out on street corners praying are kind of, they're kind of nuts and fanatics. For example, uh, sometimes you'll see somebody on the street corner, and they're holding up a sign that says, turn or burn. Or, uh, you know, God hates everything and all things, and you need to join Jesus, so you'll hate what we hate. You know, and, and there, you look at him and you go, you know, I'm not honking except to run over you or something. You know, whatever. Get off the street corner and quit using that sign. Uh, that's not what he's talking about here. That's not what he's referring to. He's not really referring to fanatics. He's actually referring, when you use the word street corner in Greek, it's talking about public places where people meet to worship. 
It's talking about public places where people met to discuss politics. It's talking about the public places where people came together to learn. The public places of discourse. So in other words, he's referring to people who are actually the pillars of their community. Who are the spiritual leaders, who are the religious leaders of their community. And he says, don't be like them. They're not the fanatics. They're not the nuts. They're actually the most respected people in their community spiritually. And he's saying, don't be like them. Here's why. is because their prayer life is public, not private. That the power of their prayer life is to hear people say, you have a powerful prayer life. That the power of their spiritual life is to hear people say, you are truly spiritual. In other words, their prayers are answered when they get the praise of men. They do it, he says, to be seen. They have an exterior prayer life, not an interior one. Now, this is incredibly easy for any of us to get caught up into. When I was a teenager, I, I went to a very traditional church. And on Wednesday nights, there was what was called a prayer meeting, but it was really a Bible study. And so there would be a little bit of prayer at the end of the Bible study. And I was about 15, 16 years old, and I would pray out. Now, the old people in that Bible study, because it was an old people Bible study, uh, they would come up to me and they would pat me on the head and say, you really pray beautifully. So I went every week to hear you really pray really beautifully. And they would pat me on the head. And it would feel great that these older people were telling me, you really pray well. Now, I had no clue if I was really getting anywhere with my prayers, but I liked hearing the praise. It is easy to live spiritually for the praise of others. In a sense, what he's really saying here is it's not only religious, but it's cultural, and it's a cultural interaction. It's that you are praying or you are, you are being religious in a response so that you can fit in well with the people you come from, with the people you're a part of. He's saying that when you live to just be acceptable to others, then the reward of your spirituality is that you're acceptable to others. Now, it's easy to see this, at least for me, it was easy to see it in, in a nation that was religious. Every single person who was of the Islamic faith, every one of them was fasting all day long. So they fast 4 o'clock in the morning to 7.45. And we were... You know, we were traveling by bus. We traveled by bus to Aqaba. We traveled by bus to Petra. And, uh, and it was so interesting because as we were returning from Petra, which is one of the eight wonders of the world, it's an amazing place. Um, as we were returning, it hit 745. So about 730 or so, there were all those government officials, you know, having water and dates because Muhammad broke his fast with water and dates. And they, they give them out. They give them for free. So the bus driver sees them. He jerks the bus over, stops on the side of the road, takes all that they have. As soon as it was 7.45, he started throwing back the water and eating the dates until he could get to the restaurant he wanted to get to. So he pulls into the restaurant like 
almost kills us going across six lanes of traffic to get to this restaurant. This European guy behind me goes, look, we're only 20 minutes from Amman. Why can't you just drive us to Amman? The guy said, no, I'm going to eat right now. So we sit out there for 20 minutes in the bus while he eats his, eats his food. And as soon as he gets back in the bus, he starts smogging on cigarettes like they'd gone out of style. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to judge him on that. I'm just saying, isn't it it's so interesting? Why was he fasting? He wasn't fasting to reveal his own interior castle. He was fasting because it was culturally acceptable. He was fasting because it was culturally, you know, pressured. I mean, when he really pushed came to shove to deal with his anxiety, anxiety was being dealt with with the cigarettes, not his faith. So there's almost nothing interior that was taking place. And even he had a busload of people who were only 20 minutes from where our destination was. He could care less. Now he was free to eat. And he was going to eat. See, there, there's a sense in which when prayer, fasting, spirituality is only about what I'm going to receive, what leverage I'm going to get, what power I'm going to get, it's not a connection with God. It's just a connection that you're trying to get some kind of control over a world that feels out of control. You know, to be seen of men, to have prayer and worship be nothing more than a, con a, a, a cultural interaction. Now, it happens whether you're Christian, you're Muslim, you're Catholic, you're Protestant. It's the use of supernatural for your own selfish ends. Now, let me take this a step further. Jesus is saying, when there is no passion in your private prayer closet, then you're a hypocrite. Now, I didn't say that. He says it. In other words, the way that he, he, he puts this is, when there's, for many of us, when there's no crisis to be prayed about, we don't pray. When there's no emergency, when there's no desperation, then we don't pray. And Jesus says, in many ways, if there's no passion for prayer in private, then what you have is a phony and fake spirituality. He's calling in this passage. He says, the father who sees in secret, he's calling you to a, a continuing, growing private prayer life. If you're saying, I'm bored in prayer, if you're saying, I can't concentrate in prayer, there is something wrong with your model of spirituality. There's something wrong with where you're at. And instead of getting mad that this is being pointed out to you, recognize that Jesus is bringing this up. The Holy Spirit is bringing this up to bring healing and to, be, to bring a foundation of true spirituality instead of a foundation of false spirituality. Well, how do you know you're a hypocrite? Because, I mean, it's... There are a lot of ways that we call each other hypocrites. You're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite kind of thing. We use things like sex and money and other things. That's not what Jesus uses. What Jesus uses to call us out as hypocrites is our private prayer life. He's saying if you do not have a private prayer life, then you are a hypocrite. Because the whole of the intimacy with God, the closeness with God, the reality of your soul being united with 
Jesus, it will manifest in your prayer life. Edwards, uh, Jonathan Edwards, was one of the great revivalists. Uh, he was the leader of the Great Awakening here in America. He's, he did a sermon called Hypocrites Deficient in the Duty of Prayer. Here's why he said this is important. He says, secret prayer is the only thing that you do for God that you don't do for show. See, when you, when you give money to, to the poor, somebody's watching. When you, uh, when you preach, when you teach, when you lead worship, when you sing, anything that you do, you do and others watch and others judge and others approve and others accept. It's only in the prayer closet that it's just for God. And if there is no prayer closet, then there is no place in your life that is just for God. And Jesus calls this hypocrisy and a fake spirituality. But he doesn't stop there. You're like, why did I come to church this morning? He says, also, do not be like those who babble like pagans or like Gentiles in the version that we just uh, read a minute ago. Actually, there are two Greek words that are used in a very interesting way. The word that is translated babble or, or uh, rush of many words or a torrent of many words is a very unusual word. You don't see it in any other Greek literature. It's only here. And it, it, it is this idea of a person who faces a situation or faces their own vulnerability and begins to pour out their need at, in, a, in a torrent of words that are frantic. You know, things like, oh, please don't let this person die. Oh, please, please, please let me get this job. Oh, please don't let this happen to me. Oh, please make sure that this doesn't happen to me. All kinds of stuff like that. That kind of, it, it, Jesus is talking about that torrent of words of, of almost faithless, completely uh, asking for magic in the moment. And then he calls the person who does this, he uses the word ethne in Greek, which translated here, it said Gentile, but, but another translation that would probably be more literal is irreligious or pagan or immoral person. And it's the idea here that there are no prayerless people. That everybody, when their heart is vulnerable enough, Jesus says, they turn to prayer. But the problem is because they turn to prayer in the wrong mode of spirituality, they expect an answer, but they have no right to an answer. They have no ground for an answer. And so this is why you hear people say, I tried prayer, but it doesn't work. And Jesus said, it's because you tried pagan prayer. And there was no pagan God to answer you. And it doesn't necessarily mean that he's only talking about people who are outside the church. There are plenty of people who only, when they really, really are desperate for something to happen or something to not happen, and suddenly a torrent of words come forth, and then they're angry because God doesn't answer. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says they think they will be heard. But in the mode of spirituality, in the spiritual way that they are approaching, they cannot be heard. They will not be heard. Because what they're doing is they're offering pagan prayers. In a book called After Heaven, a, uh, a sociologist 
looked at spirituality in these last uh, 50 years or so. And it, he brought it down in some ways to two approaches that are common, at least in America. The older approach, he said, was that he called it an inhabitation model, that it was about inhabiting. And what he meant by that was that the older model of spirituality in America was we went to sacred places. We went out of the tradition of our family. So whatever our family was, that's what we were. For example, uh, you know, here I was even in Jordan. If you ask the majority of people, they will say, I'm a Muslim. And you ask, well, why are you, are you a Muslim? And they would say, well, because my father was a Muslim and because I live in a Muslim country. It is not necessarily because they have thought through and, and really searched the claims of Islam. It's because this is who, where I'm from and this is who I am. That's not uncommon anywhere that you go. For example, some of you might have grown up and, and perhaps you come from an Italian background. You say, we're Italian, we're Catholics. Or your Irish background, you say, I'm Irish, therefore I'm a Catholic. And it isn't because you have really searched or because you've really, you know, you've really explored the claims of that particular religion. It's because that's the tradition, tradition of your family. So you inhabit the place that they inhabit it. He said, but there's a new approach and there's a, a new uh, way of looking at spirituality. And it, it's kind of characterized or summarized by this statement that people say all the time. I'm not religious. I don't like religion. I don't like organized religion, but I am spiritual. And he says, you know, in the end, actually, this, and this is a secular sociologist. And he says, in the end, both approaches are basically the same. They call, he calls the second approach a seeking model, that you are on a path, you are on a journey. You don't believe there's anything, there's not really anything like absolute truth or there's no way that you can know things for certain. So the whole thing is, is the journey. So this, this new approach is really interesting because it's not locked into any kind of uh, tradition and it can... It can penetrate into all segments of society because this sociologist says it really is about getting a technique for spirituality. Uh, an example would be this, that this would apply as much to a baseball player as it would to some person who, who's trying to be spiritual. For example, baseball players, many of them, are looking for a technique to connect with the divine so they can have a divine batting average. So they go, I'm going to envision myself hitting a home run. Hit the home run. Swing like this. And they get a technique. You see, it's a technique. And it's the same as people get a technique for healing. They get a technique for through meditation or other things. They're, they're looking for a way to become the best them that they can be. So the, the seeking model, he said, is basically an expression of selfishness. So in a way, the new approach is a very old approach. It's all about me. It's all about me becoming the best me I can become. But the, the twist to it is this. I'm trying to figure out how to get leverage or connection to the divine so that the divine will help me become what I want to become and go where I want to go. Most of the books that come out of this approach are called what? Self-help. Guess who the God then is? Self. 
All right, so Jesus says, yes, there's a prayer aspect to that. We're calling it a technique to get in touch with the divine. But there's a prayer aspect. There's a spiritual aspect. And Jesus says, without hesitation, don't be like that. All right, so what does he say to be? Here's Jesus' model of spirituality. I love, I guess, this summary better than any I've ever heard, but Tim Keller summarizes the model that, he, that is found in the Lord's Prayer. He says it this way. Prayer, prayer and spirituality in Jesus' mindset is to experience the friendship of God and the lordship of God in our lives out of the experience and realization of our own sonship. Come on, that is pretty good. Wake up out there. Every now and then you should go, ooh, wow. Just like that, right? I'm just seeking a little approval right now. Techniques. All right, so I'd like you to say this out loud with me, okay? To experience, to experience the friendship of God, friendship of God and, the of God and the Lordship of God in our lives, in our lives out, of the out of the experience and realization, and realization of, our of our sonship. This is Jesus' spirituality. Now, this is, see, sometimes people will say, just tell me how to pray. And I'll say, but if you don't get this, it doesn't matter how you pray. You can pray and pray, because he says the first group prays very religiously. They're, they're pillars of the community. And he says, don't be like that. The second group prays in a torrent of words. Don't be like that. So it's all about the interior, the heart. Well... The old spirituality, and some of you maybe are like me. I grew up in the old spirituality. And basically, there was no friendship with God. It was all about obedience and duty and doing what you're supposed to do. And then trying to, in a way, do all the right things so that no bad things would happen with you. But if any of you have ever you know, been honest about it, you can do all the right things and still all the bad things happen. Not that any of you ever did all the right things, but <laughs> then the, the new spirituality that says, I hate religion, I'm spiritual, basically says, there is no lordship over me. I'm lord over my own life. And then both of them have no right to call themselves sons. Jesus said, uh, John wrote about the gospel this way, he said, he, Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave them the right. That right is important in spirituality. The right to be called sons and daughters of God. Now, we're going to talk about these three really quickly. Basically, what the spirituality of Jesus is that, and, and the purpose of prayer is friendship with God. This is first and Above all else. If you notice, the whole first half of the prayer that Jesus teaches us, before you get to anything about asking about your needs, you're asking for and receiving Him. So the primary purpose of prayer is to experience God. It's, it's to get God. And if you get God, then 
you get to ask whatever you will. See, before Jesus teaches on prayer in Luke, he, he gives this narrative about Mary and Martha. And, and Mary and Martha were these two women who both loved Jesus. But Martha didn't understand uh, the spirituality of Jesus, so she was busy trying to make him a shawarma, in the, uh, <laughs> which are really good, by the way, or maybe falafel, I'm not sure, but uh, trying to make him a, you know, a sandwich. And her sister wasn't helping her, and she comes to Jesus and said, look, I'm in here working, slaving away uh, you know, uh, in the kitchen, and, and she's here at your feet. And Jesus looks at her and said, Mary has chosen the one thing. Now, Jesus was a rabbi as well as being the son of God, and he knew how to teach rabbinically. And when he said she has chosen the one thing, the right thing, he was immediately sending the whole thought back to Psalm 27. And here's where David says, this one thing I ask and the one thing that I seek to see your beauty. Now, you sit there and you read that and you go, what? He's a king. He's in battle. Why didn't he ask for success? Why didn't he ask for protection? Obviously, those are real needs that he had. Why in the midst of all the struggle and strife of his life did David say, the one thing I ask and the one thing I seek is to see your beauty because, because that's the primary thing. Because if, if that's not what you're seeking, you won't get anything else. See, if you jump from friendship to you've got to provide, if you begin, if you ever pray and all you pray about is what you need, what you want, by the end of the prayer, you are more anxious than you were before you started. Because you're sitting there going, I got to have this. This has got to happen. How, God, can you not let this happen for me? And you will actually pray yourself into unbelief. Because if prayer is about getting what you want and making what you want happen, then you've lost the spirituality of Jesus. And you're praying like a pagan. And he says, don't expect. Don't expect to be heard. More primary than asking for things is to take yourself completely out of the place of God. This is the whole thing of the second purpose of prayer where it's really about the lordship of God. It's about alignment. You see, there, many of us, what we do in prayer is we do what we did when we were kids. I can remember, and I watched my brother and sisters do this. We come in and go, okay, let's butter mom up, and then let's ask for money. So you go, mom, you look really beautiful. Can I have $20? So Jesus says, you can't butter God up. You can't soften his heart with lies and flattery. You can only come into alignment with God when your will comes into alignment with his. That's why the prayer begins, your kingdom come, your will be done before you pray daily bread. Until his will is now primary then you will not get your will. How many times do we have those torments of words just because we're in a crisis and we begin to just cry out and, and pour out all our unbelief and all our doubt and all our fear 
Because in so many ways, we, we, we have put ourselves in the place of God. Now, what we're usually doing, whether you know it or not, is you're walking around every day saying, my will be done. My kingdom come. Now, you think you, think you don't do that, then you're lying to yourself. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of wives who have been in counseling with me who said, every day, I think of these things that I, I want to say to my husband. And in my mind, I think of how he should answer me. And he never answers me the way I thought he should answer me. I'm like, do you realize you're married to a man? They have no clue how to answer you appropriately. You're going to have to either write them a script. You know, what, you know what the wife is saying to the husband? My will be done. My kingdom come, and you're not on board. See, same with men, same with kids, same with all of us. It's this idea in our heads that we know what's best. And what the prayer does and the spirituality of Jesus does is we abdicate the place of God and we put God on the throne. His will be done. His kingdom come. You see, when, when you have lots of anxiety, it's because you want your will done. When you're angry and bitter, it's because your kingdom has not come. When you're full of guilt and shame and you're using that to try to make yourself obedient, and you're using this negative reinforcement and stuff on yourself and on others to get them to do your will, then it's not His will. The story of Joseph is powerful because his brothers tried to kill him. They sold him off into slavery. He rose in Egypt to become the second most powerful ruler in Egypt. When Jacob, his father, died, his brothers sent word, are you going to kill us now? He said, am I in the place of God? Every time you get anxious, you've taken the place of God. Every time you give yourself over, not to momentarily anger. I mean, how can you live here and not be momentarily angry? Just driving on the Palisades will make you momentarily angry. And the moment could last a while. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. You're not supposed to be robots. But those, that deep bitterness that many of you have, that resentment, those grudges, that lack of trust, that unbelief. You know what you're saying? Jesus, you're not Lord. I am. You're not Lord. I am. Because there's some aspect of what's happened in your life thus far and what will happen in the future. There's some aspect of you yielding and surrendering to the will of God that has not yet taken place. It is not a trite or cliched thing in Romans 8, 28 when it says, I know that all things work together for good. It doesn't mean all things are good. It means he knows how to work them together for good for those who love him are called according to his purposes. I, I know I'm running out of, out of time, but would you stay with me for a second on this? I just want this last part. I want to speak this particularly to the women. It may sometimes rile you up that the Bible seems kind of male-oriented, Particularly when it says the blessings and benefits of sonship 
seems kind of one gender oriented. But the truth is, it's not. What it's saying is so powerful. It's saying whether you're male or female, rich, poor, whatever culture you come from, whatever tradition you come from, whatever background you come from, the, the access and status that you have is the access and status of the firstborn son. And the firstborn son in, in, the, in the days of Jesus had all the inheritance, had all the power, had all control, had, had this authority, and had riches and resources. The firstborn son was the position to be. And what Jesus is saying in his spirituality, the access that you and I have, whether you're male or female, the access, the status, the equality that we have is that we have the access to the father of the firstborn son. Here's what this means in a very, I think, a very relevant way. It means the greatest saint who ever lived had no more access than you have. The one holding you up is you. The access is the same. If there's anybody you've ever admired spiritually, if there's anybody you've ever admired their prayer life, you have the same access. You have the same status. When you call on the name of God, when you call on God in the name of Jesus, you have the exact same right. The inheritance is yours. The connection is yours. The intimacy is yours. The only one holding you back is you. Let me just give you a practical way to look at this. Try to take 15 minutes this week. Not, not, not your Bible study, but your prayer time, your prayer closet. 15 minutes. Start with Psalm 1. Ask this question about Psalm 1. And underline the answers as you read Psalm 1. Underline this. What does this say about the character of God? What does this, underline number 2, what does this say about the promises of God? What promises of God are here? And then number 3, what does it say about me? What I've been doing is using three different colored markers. I use a green for one, a red for one, and a blue for one. Red I use for my sins, green for his promises, and blue for his character. And, I've been, and then once I see that, I pray that back to God, and it has become an intimate place for me. I pray his character, I praise him, I adore him. I, I take hold of his promises, they speak to my future. I take hold of what I need to confess, and that gives me cleansing. I'm saying just 15 minutes. Say it with me. All right, you say this with me. What, is, what does it say about God? What does it say about me? And what are the promises here? That's easy to follow, right? If you want to get a highlighter, get a highlighter, and then pray it back to God. Will you stand with me? Now, I had to rush here at the end. I never like rushing, but I had to rush a little bit. But I want, I want you to understand this. What I have just told you is an incredibly deep and powerful thing. Because this is the foundation of your entire spiritual life. And if your foundation is, is, is built on one of the two or, or a combination of the two do not be like, prayer will never work for you. And religion will deceive you. And either way, it's a waste of your energy. 
And Jesus is saying, you could have this. You could have this. And here's the cool thing is it never gets old once you get it. Once you've, once you've glimpsed, glimpsed the throne room, you become radiant in your soul. We're going to have some people that will pray with you after the service. We have some of our leaders here that will pray with you. I, I really believe, friends, you cannot have a truly wonderful spiritual life without a truly wonderful prayer life. I didn't learn that except through Jesus. But I have found it to be true. Do you know why most pastors don't preach on this like this? Because they don't have a prayer life. So they can't talk about this hypocrisy because they are hypocrites. I can only talk about this because I have embraced my hypocrisy. And I've said I will not be that guy. I grew up a pastor who was one way publicly and another way privately. And my poor wife and my kids suffered for it. And my, ch my church suffered for it. I had a breakdown and I realized I can't go on like this. And until I got a prayer life, I could not grow. I could not go forward. You can spout theology. You can be an eloquent, eloquent speaker. But you have no interior castle. Would you receive this from me today? Would you not leave here just the same as you came and decide I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a man of the spirit I'm going to be a woman of the spirit I'm going to be a person of prayer Lord we seal what you're doing now in the name of Jesus amen thank you for being here today we'll see you next week we have some people who will pray with you if you if you'd like to come forward God bless you